Hi, and welcome to this month's episode of Engineering Greatness, an original podcast series produced by the American Concrete Institute. I'm Sri Ramya Nair. I go by Ramya. I'm an assistant professor at Cornell University based in Ithaca, New York. We are halfway between New York City and Niagara Falls. I'm uh, also the current co-chair of ACI 803, that's Faculty Network. With me is the other co-chair of ACI 803, Cameron. Yeah, hi, I'm Cameron Murray. Um, I'm currently an assistant professor, but in about two weeks, I'll be promoted to associate professor uh, officially. Um, I work at the University of Arkansas, uh, which is located in Fayetteville, Arkansas. That's like the northwest corner of Arkansas, close to Oklahoma and Missouri. Um, been here about six years, so excited to be on the podcast here today. Welcome and congratulations on getting tenure. Yeah. Yeah. How does that feel? You know, I, I guess uh, your day to day is still the same. So it doesn't it sort of you think that it's going to feel a lot more momentous than it actually does. But uh, I would say my stress level has decreased. I feel like I can that's, relax a little bit. That's fantastic. Yeah. I don't know about you, but my first probably three years here, I felt like I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. I'm in my, like going into my three-year review end of this year. So I'm in yeah, like okay. early stages right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was after that point, I started to feel like, hey, okay, I kind of, you know, I can show up to work and I sort of know what's going on here. Yes. I think the biggest challenge is there's just so many checkboxes in a way that you're trying to fill and you don't know what you need to do at what point of time and everything is new right so it's a lot yeah. in the first three years yeah you kind of don't even know what you don't know every day there's something new that you're like oh I guess I probably should have thought of that before now <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah before we get in deeper probably we should talk a little more about what got you here like where, where, where did you do your undergrad from and what's your background yeah, so uh, I'm one of the lucky people that gets to teach at their alma mater. So I started at the University of Arkansas as an undergrad in uh, 2008. Uh, I grew up in Arkansas. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. I went to kind of a famous high school, Little Rock Central High School. It was like a scene of an important moment during the civil rights era. Um, so I did my undergrad here from 2008 to 2012. Uh, at the time, I started working with a professor named Micah Hale, and he encouraged me to do a master's degree. So I did that also here uh, between 2012 and 2014. And then I did my PhD at the University of Oklahoma with Royce Floyd. Um, and then, yeah, the timing worked out. They were hiring here at Arkansas, and I was lucky enough to get to come back. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself? Where did you start out at? So I got my undergraduate degree in India. Uh, it's called uh, Indian Institute of Technology, Madras, IIT Madras. And yeah, so when I graduated from undergrad, I knew I wanted to live in the US. That's, that's a motivation I had to come here. Beyond that, I wasn't really sure about exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to design buildings and bridges. I mean, that's why most people become engineers, right? So when I moved to the US, that's what I did. I got my master's in structural engineering at University of California, Davis. And I went and worked for a structural design firm. And the first few months were very exciting. I was learning things. I was applying things that I had learned in my class. But very soon you realize that, especially in certain companies, they bid for the same type of projects. 
So you end up working on similar projects over and over again. And at being in my early 20s, that's not something I could see myself doing, you know, going forward for the rest of my life. And I also happened to be living in Austin, Texas at that point of time. And I was surrounded by a lot of my friends from my undergrad that were doing research at the University of Texas at Austin. And that was uh, a bit of a motivation for me to apply to grad school. And then I ended up being doing my PhD at UT Austin. I stayed in Austin. And yeah, so it wasn't a very obvious path to, you know, getting my doctorate degree, but I eventually got there. Yeah, and UT has a great history of uh, concrete researchers. That's a good lineage there. Absolutely. And I think that was the best part of my PhD program because I was surrounded by so many concrete nerds, I guess. There were so many students doing undergrad thesis or their master's PhD. We had uh, about six to, uh, girls that were getting their PhD at the same time when I was getting my PhD over there. So we all learned from each other. And even though your specific topic was on one thing, you got like a really broad knowledge because con like you have to go to ACI to realize how huge the field of concrete is and then you know the diversity in concrete and in a way I think I, I got to experience that at UT Austin. Yeah I guess our programs were a bit different I went to smaller schools that don't have such big graduate programs uh, it's a different experience you know I had I mean I had uh, colleagues in school that I really got along with and uh, but I, it's always struck me that people that went to schools like UT there's these huge networks of people that that all went to school together that meet up again at ACI and whatever. Absolutely. That's definitely huge. And that's that's the huge difference for me at being at Cornell right now. Like with Professor Howard retiring, I'm the only one that actually works with concrete as a material. So it becomes very isolating, both for me and for my students. And that's why coming to ACI becomes important so we can interact with more students and more faculty. When you think about the community that you had at UT, do you is there anything that you learned from that that you have taken to Cornell with you to try to establish something there? Oh, that, that that's a very good question. I think the way I saw it is because I get I got to learn so much. So my my PhD was mainly on rheology. But I also got to interact with uh, Professor Younger and her students that do cement chemistry and with Professor Foliard and his students that do durability. So that's something that I've tried to bring into my lab here at Cornell. We all don't do only rheology anymore because, I mean, that's my PhD. People assume I do rheology, but I do more than that. Like I bring in the cement chemistry piece because we want to understand rheology is influenced by what you put in there. And also we're trying to replace concrete with other more you know, CO2 friendly materials, but then, you know, are they actually going to be a good replacement? You still need to understand that. And then if you're replacing it, are they going to be durable? So I feel like I've learned a lot about the interdisciplinary research that happens in concrete. And I've tried to recreate that at Cornell. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because uh, most academics are very like they have their lane and that's really what they do. And they don't they don't really want to diversify that too much. But uh, for me, I always appreciated people like Ken Hover who are sort of, they know a little bit about everything with concrete. And uh, I don't know, when I think about my career, I want to be able to have my hand in a few different things. Yeah. I, I guess that's kind of a fun thing with concrete is there's everything from hard science all the way up to very practical applied work. Absolutely. And when you talk about like, uh, how much Ken knows and his diversity in knowledge. Mm -hmm. 
it translates to the classes that he teaches as well. So the more we know, and the because uh, when we teach a class, you're teaching us to a diverse set of students that have different types of um, interests. So then if our interests are diverse, we can bring that into the classroom experience as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do you think of him as a mentor to you or are there other people from the past that were very influential to you? To me, yes, Ken at Cornell has been a huge influence and trying to learn from him to see how he teaches his classes and uh, the knowledge that he brings in and the uh, the interest he takes in you know students' education. Uh, that's something that I'm definitely gonna try to carry on with me. Uh, the other professor that's really had a huge influence in me and also me being a part of ACI is Maria Younger. She's going to be the next president of ACI. Uh, I, I've taken classes with her at UT, but beyond that, she's just been a fantastic mentor that I can call her right now if I need to. And um, she's played a huge role. But the main person that got me into concrete was when I was doing my undergrad, I was in my third year. I knew I wanted to do structural design. I mean, we talked about that. I went and worked for a structural design firm. But in my third year, uh, there was a professor who moved from Europe. His name is Professor Ravindra Gettu. And he taught a class on advanced concrete. It shows the diversity of concrete in a way, like the different types of concrete, the additives, and how concrete wasn't a simple material anymore. And for different applications that you need a different type. And it wasn't very heavy on just the cement chemistry by itself, but it was more, it was everything packaged into that course. And that was the first time I realized this was something that was very exciting for me. So that's why when I was done working for the structural design firm, I knew I wanted to be in construction materials. And that's what inspired me to, you know, go and get my PhD in materials. Yeah. But yeah, what about you? Oh, uh, mentors or, or? Mentors, yeah. Somebody who's influenced you to be who, where you are and who you are today, who have inspired yeah. you. It, well, so, you know, engineering wise, I was always interested in how things worked. I was always interested in building. Um, you know, I love playing with Legos and I used to like building things like bridges and buildings uh, rather than like spaceships or cars or airplanes, things like that. Uh, so I think when I was that age, my parents really encouraged that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's funny, actually, when I was an undergrad, I knew that I wasn't going to stay in school. Like, as soon as I got my degree, I was going to get my job and leave. Uh, and I met Dr. Hale, who's, who's now my boss, actually. And he kind of encouraged me to think about doing research and working in the lab. And then it's funny how things work. You know, opportunities come in front of you. I had the opportunity to do a master's degree. Uh, and at the time, it was like, well, this is kind of the best option in front of me. Maybe I'll give it a try. And then I ended up being in school for nine years. And <laughs> unlike you, I never worked uh, in consulting or I never had a real job. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess in a way, I stayed in school my entire life, which was not what I had uh, in my mind when I was 18 years old. Yeah. When did you know you wanted to be a professor? that this is what you wanted to do? Um, maybe like three years ago. <laughs> no, no, I'm probably kidding about that. Uh, you know, I think when I was doing my master's degree, uh, Micah started encouraging me to think about doing a PhD. And at that time, I had friends that I was in classes with. And 
you know, I remember a couple of them saying, oh, you know, you're pretty good at teaching us this. Maybe you'd be a good teacher. And it's like, oh, that could be all right. And I always kind of appreciated the, I think from the outside looking in, it looked like a, a nice lifestyle. Um, it probably looks less stressful than it actually is sometimes. But I think the the job is pretty good in terms of the control you have over your work-life balance and the ability to get to choose the things that you work on and the things that you don't work on. Um, also, I think it's just nice working with younger people all the time. It keeps us That's young. absolutely right? true. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. Yeah. And I agree with the fact of what you just said, that it gives you control over what you want to focus on. And if you decide to change what you focus on tomorrow, that's up to you, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it goes back to what you mentioned about when you were in consulting. Like yeah. the firm you worked for had a certain type of project that they wanted to do. And, you know, especially earlier in your career, you don't get to choose whether or not that's something you want to do. Exactly, exactly. And also, I think the other challenge I had was that I was an international student on a visa, and a lot of companies did not want to hire students on visas. And that made it challenging to find an exciting position, which is still something that I see with students that uh, come into our programs once in a while that are international students. So you have to have the right internships so that they convert into jobs. Without that, it becomes challenging. Yeah, when you look back on your uh, transition to the United States, do you remember any challenges that, I mean, I'm sure there were challenges, but what things stand out in particular to you? I think for me, the biggest one was trying to find a really good position that I wanted to be in, like uh, like in the industry job wise. But beyond that, like if you want to be in academia, stay in academia, like the transition is, you know, it's totally feasible. Yeah. 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 So uh, when was the first time you went to ACI or when did you start getting involved in that bigger picture? Yeah. So I went to ACI in my, I think I was in my third year of my PhD. It was in Dallas that year. So it was like 10 years ago from last year. So, and then um, I remember we drove in the car with Professor Younger and then her graduate student, Katie, had a room, like we stayed with her. And that was just a overwhelming experience because there were just so many people and there was just so much happening and then the following year that was my fourth year of my PhD I went and gave a talk in research in progress but after that I did a postdoc in petroleum engineering so I was doing cementing of oil and gas wells so it's the exact same materials that we use for above ground but instead we're using it for below ground it gets higher pressure higher temperature and you want to understand you know what challenges are they going to have? And if you replace cement with other materials, are they going to be more durable? And why you should uh, use a certain type of chemistry for drilling? So that, that, that was my focus. And I was going to more, most petroleum conferences. It was only after I got this job in uh, civil engineering, where um, I started going back to ACI, going back to some of the projects that I was previously working on. So I still work on both the petroleum side and also on the above infrastructure side. But so I would say when I started going back again three years ago, I just felt like I had to rebuild my network. And it was almost like I had just come out of my PhD and trying to build a network. So, yeah, so I've been only going on a regular basis. And then COVID happened, too. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I guess that <laughs> happened right after you started your uh, faculty job. <laughs> exactly. So the online 
conventions and not meeting people that was all a bit of a challenge yeah yes well it's so funny that you say dallas was your first uh convention because that was the first one i went to oh that's awesome yeah yeah that's a funny coincidence i was a I'm trying to remember, I, I may have been an undergraduate student at the time, or I had just started my master's degree. I see. And uh, I came to that conference because I was interviewing for one of the fellowships. I see. And uh, I, I should have went back and looked at this because I, I might have to be fact-checked on this. I think it was the Baker Student Fellowship. I but see. anyway, I ended, up getting, I ended up being awarded one. And I remember uh, Tyler Lay was one of the people who interviewed me when I was in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the that program, you know, the scholarship and fellowship program is really good because for me, certainly it gave me some confidence that I was doing something that I was good at and that, uh, you know, I, there was some value I could give to that world. Yeah. Yeah. Which you're, you know, I guess I was 22 at the time or something. Uh, I was just learning that I could be good at this kind of thing. So it yeah. was nice to get that confidence. Do you have advice for any students that are applying for these foundation fellowships? That's a good question. I mean, they've, you know, as far as just the application process, I think they've done a good job of streamlining that. But, you know, I I think people should be uh, confident enough to just try, you know, uh, I guess, when you're younger, especially, you look around and everyone seems to have everything figured out except for you, or at least sometimes <laughs> I felt that way. But the truth is everyone else is figuring it out, too. Yeah. And, you know, if you're showing up to work and you're trying your best and you're trying to learn things, people notice that and they want to reward you for it. So yeah. the worst thing you can do is not put yourself out there and not apply. That's definitely true. Yeah. Was there a faculty that... um inspired you to apply for the for the fellowship oh yeah that was micah hale and you know i have to give him a lot of credit because he's very good about pushing his students towards those things just putting those things in front of them you Mm -hmm. know sometimes especially when you're younger you don't even know that stuff exists so i try to remember that in my position now um to try to advertise that stuff to my students and encourage Mm -hmm. them to apply for these things so that they can get some extra recognition Um, I mean, it's competitive. There's a lot of people that apply, but I'm sure you and I, we both have the best students around, right? So they've got a great (laughs) chance to win. Absolutely, yes. And if you don't introduce them and, you know, if they don't go to an ACI, they don't know, you know, what it is all about. So, and doing an interview through these fellowships is another way for them to get like the guided tours and meet more people and network. So it's, it's a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're mentoring your students, you know, your advisees, um, are there specific experiences that you look back on in your own uh, in your own experience as a student that inform the way that you behave as an advisor? I think for me, the main thing that I try to do is I try to meet the students where they are. So I Uh, when I let's say initially hire like an undergrad to come work in my lab or the same goes even for grad students I meet with them I try to understand who they are right now what are they most excited about because you want to be solving problems that you're most excited about and if you're excited about the problem you're solving you'll show up to work tomorrow and the day after and the day after right so I think that's what I try to do I try to understand 
what do they want to do? And obviously they don't know everything, right? But at this point of time, this is what they're excited about. Then that's the opportunity I give them. And then in the process, I keep meeting with them and then trying to un- tell them that, hey, have you thought of this? You might be good at this. You haven't considered this, but you know, maybe it's something you might be good at because you know, look at all that you've accomplished so far. So I think for me, my mentorship style is to try and meet the, meet the students where they are and then offer them the opportunities from that point. What about you? Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's sometimes uh, easy to forget that when you're starting out, you really are starting from scratch. And it doesn't yeah. mean, you know, that you're not good enough to do it or or you don't know anything. It's just people have to teach you little by little. You know, you pick up these research skills along the way. I think sometimes people in our positions forget because we know all this stuff that there was a time when we... We didn't know no. how to flutter in a compression machine or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I guess I agree with you. It's about like helping them build those skills and get that confidence and try to uh, get some enjoyment out of it because there's something about it that's exciting to them. Absolutely. I know for me, when I took my structural materials class, um, I was just excited because I was like, well, kind of tired of... Uh, you know, doing calculus and physics all day. And then I showed up to structural materials and we were like actually making concrete outside in a mixer. And I was like, oh, that's fun. You do this in college. (laughs) So that probably started me on that path to thinking, oh, you know, maybe concrete research wouldn't be so bad. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you teach uh, courses related to concrete? Yeah. So at the undergraduate level right now, I teach statics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the graduate level, I teach a pre-stressed concrete course and an advanced concrete design course where we talk about um, slabs and slender columns and, you know, all the stuff in the back of the ACI code. Yeah, yeah. The fun what stuff. about yourself? Yeah. So I teach structural analysis uh, for the undergrads. Uh, I try to bring in design of concrete structures to give give a flair of like what they're going to see in the concrete classes later on. And then I teach sustainability and automation, the future of construction industry. That's for the grad level. It's more about reducing the carbon footprint associated with construction materials. I talk about how concrete is really important and what they can do as future design engineers to understand these low carbon materials that are coming into the market right now. Yeah. And we we also do 3D printing with concrete. Oh, that's cool. A 3D printing class. Yeah, yeah. So it's both low carbon materials and 3D printing with concrete. So I, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, this yeah, will be that... my second year teaching that class. Yeah, and um, uh, a a lot that I've learned from ACI also comes back to the classes because of the committee meetings that you go to, and then the content that's been developed as part of the committees too, and all that like latest information you get fed back into the classes. Yeah, that's true. I use a lot of stuff. I serve on the pre-stressed concrete committee. Um, they have a lot of documents that are useful for for my teaching. Um, there's a lot of good stuff that we can bring back to our students from that. Absolutely, yes. And that's how the 3D printing committee also has played a huge role in development development of this content for the class. Yeah. So I was just thinking, since this podcast is about young professionals and starting your career, you know, I was just... <laughs> wondering what advice you would give a student who is considering a career in academia 
you know, what, what are some pros of this job? What are some cons? What are some things that they maybe would be surprised about? Yeah. I would say the first thing is um, you want to pick a project that you're most excited about. Like I said, if you're genuinely interested in something, you'll really figure something out and, you know, do do some really good stuff in it. So uh, first thing is really be interested in what you're doing. And the second thing is there is no guarantee that, you know, anybody is going to get a faculty position. So you have to have that flexibility in mind about if I get it, I'll do it. Otherwise, like for me, I'd be happy doing research anywhere. Like I want to be solving problems. That's what I want to be doing. It could be as a faculty, it could be as a research associate, it could be in a startup company. I'm more about solving the next problem that's exciting to me. That's what I want to be in the space of. But at this point of time, I happen to be at a university and I get to do this research with me as a PI. But I think having that flexibility adds to mental health, I guess. Yeah, that's true. You kind of, uh, you have to be willing to do different things. And this job in particular asks you to do a lot of different things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I think some people think, oh, that's great. I love doing my PhD. I'll go become a professor and it'll be like doing my PhD, except they'll pay me more. Yeah. But I assume not. a lot of other responsibilities aside from just writing journal articles, right? You, and maybe you don't even spend that much time in the lab anymore. I know I don't. Uh, I don't spend as much time in the lab now as I did even three years ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. I spend if because I'm teaching like a new class since the second time I'm iterating it. I'm going to spend a lot of time teaching this class and also the undergrad class. I had to spend a lot of time. But once you teach a class three or four times, you really know the content. You're comfortable with it. And then most of the time goes into service, especially now that you've gotten tenure, you might be doing more service than as yeah. a tenure track faculty. And then writing proposals, right? So I spend majority of my time writing proposals. So if I'm in the lab generating data, I cannot be writing proposals. So yes, the focus of what you do really changes. It's not the same as doing research as part of a PhD project. And, you know, I was thinking this is true for our jobs, and I think it's true for uh, jobs in industry, too. We're engineers, so we're good at math and technical things, and we like to do research. But you also have to be good with people. Yes. And if you're uh, a research advisor, you have students that come from different backgrounds, and you have to figure out how to communicate effectively with them and get them on the same page with you as far as what the goals of the project are and how to leverage their strengths and improve their weaknesses. And those are skills that maybe uh, we never learn in class, but could certainly yes. help anyone advance in their career. Absolutely. We have to really figure out because uh, the same solution would, won't work with every student. So your mentorship style has to change based on what the student needs at that point of time. Yes. Yeah. And we ourselves have to really be good with time management, right? Because yes. we just have so many things that we need to get done in a day and there's not enough hours in a day. Yeah, and I think that's true in every job, but maybe it's even especially true for us because nobody is checking on us to see if we've been doing the right things, right? Your third year review might be the first time that anyone above you mm -hmm. in the hierarchy has come and said, oh, this looks good, or hey, you're maybe on the wrong track. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so you can yeah, to, you could be overspending time on something that you didn't have to spend as much time on, but you don't have that feedback. You have to course correct yourself. And that's why they give you six years in the tenure track, I guess. Yes, except the six <laughs> years go by too quickly. Too quickly, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you have to be pretty honest with yourself about am I doing this because it's actually important or am I doing this because it makes me feel comfortable or it you know sounded like a better thing to do than the the journal paper I've been putting off or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I have another question for you. Did ACI play a huge role as you went through your tenure track process in the last six years? Um, that's a good question. Um, well, publications are important. Uh, you can't get tenure if you don't publish. And I published in the ACI journals and I like the ACI journals because I think they're they're not purely academic. My impression is that people in our industry use the information that's in them. Um, but also, you know, I've I've met people who I've collaborated with or who could be future collaborators through ACI. I'm always energized by going to the conventions because I, you know, it, it gives you the impression that the stuff you're working on is valuable to other people. Sometimes you're just working away in your office um, and all your colleagues are not doing concrete stuff. And you're like, is this really that important? But then you go <laughs> and you talk about it in front of people that, that care about that stuff. And you remember, oh yeah, this stuff is actually pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. And also for young academics, it's a great place to find people to write external review letters for you. Um, so all the people that I had write letters for me were people that I knew through ACI. Yep. I completely agree with everything that you just said. I, I mean, the convention seemed long. You're like, oh my God, I'm going to miss like, you know, four days of work. But then you go and you realize it's, it was completely worth it. And especially like after COVID, like having going going back to conventions in person, you see, meet the same people over and over again. And finally, like, you know, you really feel like you belong. So you just have to keep showing up. Even the first one, the second one might feel very intimidating, but you just keep showing up. And then, like you said, you feel you feel you find uh, colleagues that you can write proposals with or they're going to write your letters or give you guidance or like help you get your students right like the next your next student could be coming because their advisor showed up at ACI and met you at a networking event so yeah uh, for me so far I'm really glad that I've started going to ACI and uh, yeah it's played a huge role in networking for me yeah, yeah and you bring up a good point like showing up and getting involved is kind of a good way to help it pay off for you more. Like it's one thing just being there, but if you volunteer to help out on things and you join a couple committees, it's a great way to build relationship with, relationships with people in a way that feels more natural. Instead Absolutely. of trying to network at the mixer or whatever, you're actually, you have a reason to speak to someone because you're working together on a document or you agreed to help put together a session or whatever it may be. And it also means that you have mutual interests because we talked about how concrete is such a big, huge field, right? Yeah. All right. So thanks again for joining us. And thanks to everyone for listening to this month's episode of Engineering Greatness. Join us each month as ACI brings together pairs of young professionals in the concrete industry to engage in intimate conversations about their life and work. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
And for more information on the American Concrete Institute, visit us online at concrete.org. We'll see you next time.